Hello, I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman, and welcome to The God Squad, a podcast you can believe in. Today, we're talking about sayings that everybody thinks are true, but they are just not true. You know, most of the sayings we hear all the time, the sayings we hear from our parents and grandparents and friends, are just not true. They're all familiar, but they have big problems when you look just beneath the surface. Today, we're talking about one of those sayings, time heals all wounds. We've all heard it. Seems right, but it isn't right. Let's begin. Imagine for a moment that you were, oh, bitten on the tush by a poisonous snake. Would you believe then that time heals all wounds? No. At that moment, you would believe that snake antivenom tuchus serum administered immediately heals all wounds. You would never just sit on your poisoned butt waiting for time to heal you. The truth is that even before we are bitten by a snake, we know that the saying, time heals all wounds, is actually not true at all. One of the reasons we think it's true is that over time we do tend to bounce back from our losses and disappointments. Ed Diener, a psychology professor at the University of Illinois, did a study in in which he discovered that after about five years from their trauma, even widows, widowers, returned to the levels of happiness they had before their spouses died. Amazing, really. However, it was not the simple passage of time that healed those wounds of loss. What healed them was five years of loving and being loved, of giving and being given to, of serving and being served. That is what healed those wounds. If those widows and widowers had lived alone in a cave for those same five years, they would have emerged psychotic or dead. Our only hope is to do something to try to heal our wounds. And we need to find out what that something is. My grandpa Lipa had a brother named Ben, who, when I was growing up, we never met, even though he also lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ben had a son, Eddie, my father's first cousin, whom my father did not know. Nobody in our family remembers what caused the split between Lipa and Ben only that it happened many years ago and nothing was ever done or not enough was ever done to heal that wound. And so, as a tragic consequence, two large families with the same last name, living in the same city, grew up not knowing each other. Time did not heal the wound in our family. Time only made the wound permanent. Perhaps you have a family wound like the wound in my family, and perhaps, just perhaps, it's not too late to try to heal that wound 
you can do it. You must try to do it, even if you are rebuffed. You must try again, because such wounds are not out there somewhere in some abstract family. Those wounds are in you. And if you believe that time alone will heal them, those wounds will be transferred to the children of your children's children. Basically, forever. What heals our wounds here on planet Earth is not time, but courage and love, repentance and forgiveness. To face someone who feels rightly or wrongly, that you have wounded them, takes great courage. You must set aside the convenient self-deception that you are a moral virgin, you are a victim, always a victim, never the victimizer. You must accept the fact that even though you are a, a good person, you may have, like Leonard Cohn's bird on a wire, like his beast with his horn, you have torn those who reached out to you. You must accept your, your failings and admit your culpability, and this takes guts. When you ask forgiveness for old wounds, you must also be prepared to be attacked, berated, and accused for things you did and for things you didn't do. And this also takes guts. You must sit there and take it because you are hoping that their love for you will, will overcome their anger. You are betting on the truth of things that most people will forgive a truly penitent sinner and most people want to hear the truth that, that their wounds can be healed with the only wound medicine that always works, forgiveness and love. An old Buddhist legend tells the story of two monks on a journey. One day they argued over something and one monk slapped the other in the face. Not typical monk behavior, I think. The one who got slapped bent down right there, took a stick, and scratched this message in the sand. Today my friend slapped me in the face. So the monks kept on walking and had to cross a swampy bog. The monk who had been slapped got stuck in the mud and began to sink into the muck and the mire. His friend immediately grabbed a long stick, handed it to him, and pulled him to safety. The muddy monk immediately took a stone and scratched this into the stone. Today my friend saved my life. That night the monk asked his companion, After I slapped you, you wrote in the sand, and now you wrote on a stone. Why did you do this? And the monk answered, When someone hurts me, I write it in sand so that the wind and water can quickly erase it. But when someone shows me kindness, I write it in stone, where nothing can ever erase it. It's a great story. 
But it proves it's not time that heals all wounds. What heals all wounds is letting go of what wounds us and holding on to what heals us. What heals all wounds is learning how to write what hurts you in sand and write what saves you in stone. There's an old Jewish teaching of the rabbis that we should consider every sin committed against us to be a minor sin, and every sin that we commit against others to be a major sin. Buddhist or Jewish, the lesson is the same. What heals wounds is letting go of our anger and the foolish self-deception that we are always the victim and never ever the predator. All the people in your life whose cruel and hurtful deeds you have not written in sand, but rather in stone, are your unfinished business, and this is the truth of things. In fact, it is the truth of all our unfinished business of sin and repentance. In the Hebrew Bible, Isaac and Ishmael were estranged, but bearing Abraham together healed them. Jacob and Esau were estranged, but they were healed when they buried their father Isaac together. God and the people Israel were estranged at the golden calf, but they were healed and reconciled in the desert wanderings. In the famous story of the binding of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, where at the last minute an angel from heaven called to Abraham and told him not to harm Isaac in any way. And so Isaac's life is saved and Abraham passes this incomprehensible test. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said that he cried when he first heard this story and His father asked him why he was crying, and he answered his father, I'm afraid, Papa, I'm afraid that the angel will be too late. His father smiled and hugged him and said, My son, angels are never too late. That is the difference between angels and people. You see, people are sometimes too late. A story appeared in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle some time ago, and it it told the story of a, a female humpback whale who had become entangled in a uh, spider web of crab traps and fishing lines, and she was weighed down by hundreds of pounds of traps that caused her to struggle just to stay afloat and to breathe. She also had hundreds of yards of line rope wrapped around her body, her tail, her torso. There was even a line tugging in her mouth. A fisherman spotted her just east of the Farallone Islands outside the Golden Gate Bridge, and he immediately radioed an environmental group for help. 
Within hours, the rescue team arrived and determined that the whale was so bad off, the only way to save her was to dive in and untangle her. This was extremely dangerous work. One slap of the tail could kill a rescuer. They worked for hours with curved knives and eventually freed her. And when she was free of the lines and the entanglements, the divers say she swam in what seemed like joyous circles. Then she swam back to the divers one at a time and nudged each of them gently with her nose. They were all certain that this was a clear and gentle Thank you from the whale. Some said it was the most incredibly beautiful experience of their lives. The guy who cut the rope out of her mouth says her eye was following him the whole time and he will never be the same. So I hope, actually I pray for all of us, that when we are all tangled up in the binding ropes of our sin and stubbornness, our ignorance and impulse, that we have the opportunity, the good fortune, the blessing, to be blessed with spiritual families, friends, teachers, who see our plight before we drown and help untangle us from the sins that bind us. If it were true that time heals all wounds, then that whale would have drowned and Isaac would have been sacrificed and we would have not have been given the opportunity to learn this great and daring and loving lesson. That time does not heal all wounds, love Repentance, forgiveness, they do heal all wounds. The entire religious tradition of the West in Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and particularly in the East, in in Buddhism, is a spiritual refutation of the false belief that time heals all wounds. And, and for example, the... uh, the story of how the Red Sea was split in the Hebrew Bible. The rabbis tell that it was a man named Nachshon ben Aminadab from the tribe of Judah who actually caused the Red Sea to split, not Moses. He was tired of waiting for the Pharaoh's army to come and kill them. And he was losing hope. So what he did is he just walked into the sea. And he kept walking till the water was up to his chest and his neck. And when the waters covered his nose, and before he drowned, God split the sea and the people went through it on dry land. Nachshon ben Aminadab did not wait for the sea to split. He did something brave that made God split the sea before he drowned in it. 
Many religions teach that we should wait for God. I'm proud that Judaism teaches that God is waiting for us, waiting for time. To pass is the death of every revolution in the world. It is the death of every hope in the human heart. For example, in debating when the Messiah will come, the rabbis rejected the belief that we can do nothing but wait for the appointed day to arrive. They taught that we can bring the Messiah if we, for example, all observe the Sabbath one week. Or in another version, they taught that the Messiah will appear as a leper at the gates of Rome. And when some kindly person offers to change his bloody bandages, he will announce himself and heal the whole world of sin. How extraordinary that Judaism teaches that the unfinished business of our world and the unfinished business of our lives are healed in exactly the same way. Not by waiting, but by doing something brave and loving. I think that what people really mean when they say that time heals all wounds is that patience heals all wounds. I agree with that. Waiting does nothing, but a patient and constant effort to achieve healing will always work because it is active and it is wise. It takes wisdom to understand that fixing our wounds is not a sudden thing like a, a sword thrusting home. Rather, it is a patient thing in which the trying is much more important than the results. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote, in fact, that the trying is all that matters in life. Everything else is just <laughs> not our business. You see, the journey is more important than the destination. And the patience in defeat more important than any thrill of victory. Anton Chekhov wrote, It seemed like the next minute they would discover a solution, yet it was clear to both of them that the end was still far, far off, and that the hardest and most complicated part was only just beginning. That is the truth. That's the truth of our journey here. Rainer Maria Rilke, the poet, in his letters to a young poet wrote of this patient wisdom. He wrote to his student, I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. 
live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad podcast is a production of the Mark Gelman Institute. I know the guy. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. I'd love to hear from you at rabbi at godsquadpodcast.com God bless us, one and all.